Hi everyone, my name is Danielle Anderson. I'm CEO of Devoted Studios and I'm your host at Devoted Speakeasy. Tonight we have an amazing guest with us, Tremel Isaac. Tremel, thank you so much for coming. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Tremel is currently a VP of Art at Ilphonic and working on an awesome franchise Predator that they released in 2020. And besides this, with his over 20 years experience in the industry, he had a chance to work on Planetside and Planetside 2 and Duke Nukem and multiple fallouts. So I hope this discussion is going to be very interesting for everyone. Let's let's start with like some basic stuff. Like you guys decided on a genre probably of a game as a team, as a whole production team. And then you need to do, kind of translate that into visual. If you can walk me through, you know, the very first day of internally or like the team is like, hey, we have an idea. <laughs> uh, what, how does yeah. it go? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they start off with people saying, hey, we have an idea. Uh, but uh, and we have money, and we have cash in the bank to develop it, and yeah, that publisher that's, backing that's, us up. That is always <laughs> useful. That that's always useful money. Um, <laughs> I've never been on a, a, uh, a production, and that's just me. My experience. I've never been on a production where all of the pre-pro was done before production started. You know, pre-production should be for you know getting all of your mm -hmm. ideas out, all the things concepted, and then when you go into production, you're just making stuff. That's never happened. Uh, you know, in this particular project, uh, Plant Side 2 was made in like 18 to 20 months. So, and that's from zero, you know, so there had to be some concessions on how we went about building things. Building as we go was the, the way that we had to do it. And um, we even, you know, the, the engine itself was built while the game was being built. A lot of these things that we we made, we made upon assumption because with this particular type of game, having five, 600 people on a server, you can't test that internally. There's no way you can test it. So the assumption was made that the game would work. What are the things that, oh, you know, this is what I learned on Planet Side 2 and I'm never gonna do it again, um, um, or, these are the things that I learned on Planet Side 2 and I brought to, I don't know, Predator. Um, uh, yeah, that, those, those two, those, those streams never mixed. Um, <laughs> I think it's more like, if, if anything, you know, not content, more about, uh, well, actually, that's not true. You know, character customization, you know, things that we learned about, you know, creating uh, the character customization uh, in Planet Side influenced some of the things uh, in, in Predator, for sure. Um, without that experience, there, there would be no basis of it in my mind for, for me to be able to give any advice on that. So there are some things that, that did, you know, kind of, this is part of my, my story. This is part of my history. I know how to construct these things this way. Um, it's actually the question that I had in mind. I was like, um, there is, there are factions in, in Planet Side 2, and there's obviously character customization in, um, and Predator. So yeah. what are the key elements to success to build 
factions in the game and you know the general approach i mean it's two big questions right the general approach for character customization let's start with factions like how do you design it visually so that one you know certain humans relay with this faction and certain humans relay with this is it like psychology element or is it just you know yeah. only visuals yeah it's, it's, a, it's a combination of the two first first and foremost the things that that matters to most most people is not the visual component. Uh, it is the, you know, I wouldn't even say it's psychological, it's more about like ideological. Um, who do you identify with and why? So like each one of the sides, none, none of the three sides were inherently evil and they weren't inherently good, but each one of the factions had a reason for doing what they what they wanted to do or what they had to do and each one of those would be something that people would identify with in real life um so you know you got one faction that believes science is is the way that that's going to you know get us out of our, our you know, predicament and you've got another group that just wants to be free to do whatever they want to do um and then you got another group that believes that the government has the answer and will you know protect uh, all the citizens within you know from you know from the beginning we had like a really good split across the board you know it was like 33 you know 34 maybe 30 mm -hmm. somewhere around there of each of the factions because each one of those those people playing the game identified with those with the ideas of the group um which was great but then we needed to visually identify people on screen you know, in order for this, this three-way combat to actually matter. So if I'm shooting at a guy, I need to know for sure, because you get penalized for shooting your friends, I need to know for sure that the person <laughs> that I'm shooting is not a friendly. Um, so what we, you know, from the original concept, from the original plant side, you know, we basically distinguished each one of the groups between with basic shapes. Triangles for one, squares for another, circles for the other. So we just took those shapes and expanded them through weapons, the vehicles, um, the armor, and that was it. And that was that was how it was all born. It was all, you know, we made made sure that we maintained those look sets within that. And now it might it might be you know completely blurred and, and all that stuff because you know over time, you mm -hmm. it's kind of like, oh, we need to make new content, but we don't want to kind of put ourselves in these buckets, you know, over eight eight to 10 years or whatever the case may be, eventually those shapes start to round themselves out. So it's kind of triangle-like. It's kind of square-like. It's, it's more, less of a circle than it is a, uh, an egg now. Is it the only way to make factions different in the games? Like what you mentioned, like the basic forms, like more triangle. What, what are the other ways to do it? Many different ways of doing that. Color, color combinations. I mean, we chose uh you know complementary colors and start start co colors you know blue and and gold you know teal and purple and red and black things that are very stark in contrast and separate from one another and that was just a way that we did it i mean there's a million different ways to do that okay um how do now that we kind of have established you know foundation for creating factions how do we customize the character so that you know, you feel the difference when you paid a ton of money into this character that you have this, I don't know, armor or weapons that feel royal to you, like, like you feel yeah. you either earned it or like paid for it. 
Like, how do you um, achieve that? You you start off by you know making sure that every piece of content that you make makes a difference uh, visually. Um, yeah, I mean you can you can sell like you know badges and stuff like that. But like if you put you know if I'm wearing this jacket with a you know circle on it versus a square, does it really matter? I'm still the same looking dude. It doesn't change me enough. Mm -hmm. value has to be there Um, so how how do you define this meaningful like or meaningful enough and also don't stretch your budget in like yeah it's it's about like you know sometimes it needs to change the silhouette sometimes it needs to be enough coverage but the way that the the characters were broken down in in plan side two was like you would be able to change the armor on top of it and then Mm -hmm. you would add things on top of that and change the colors and change the um like the camo patterns and, and things like that. So it was the you know, accumulation of, of things that you could do to make meaningful change because it's a fashion show, you know? So hmm. I'm showing off my thing to the next person. It's, it's a, it's, it does two things. It sells the product to other people when they see yeah. you. So if I don't make a thing that other people want, then what's the purpose of making the thing? So when you put that thing on the, on the marketplace and people buy it, the idea is that because I see this dude wearing it, I want it because that's that's cool enough for me to want it. If it doesn't do that, then we don't make it. Um, and and it's, it's a simple, it could be easily as, as simple as making something something black. You know, like I know that um, uh, even on like EverQuest and things like that, they would, you know, make these, you know, like sell a black horse, a black mountain. And, you know, it was like this thing that would they would never really do, you know, it's a rare thing. So when you saw somebody with that, it was like, oh, shit, how do I get that? It's like, no, I got this, you know, when it was, when it came out or whatever, I was at, a, you know, a convention and they gave out codes for it, whatever. It's like those things making yeah. rarity makes it valuable. And then therefore people want it. There's a, a bunch of stuff that I probably would not uh, purchase myself but I know that other people would. How do you know that? I mean, it's so like, I would never, I personally would never purchase uh, uh, like a pink gun skin, just not my thing, you know? So, but I know other people would. So it's not up to me, like, How do you I'm know that other people, product. how do you know that other people would? Like, how, <laughs> where do you get this, you know, conscious of- Yeah, uh, you, you gotta listen to people. That's, I mean, that's what it is. Like people, you know, that play your, your product, you got to listen to them. You got to, you know, be in with the people. And that was the reason, why, one of the reasons why we did um, Inside the Player Studio and, um, you know, Plantside Command Center and doing all those things that, that you know, did outreach to the community to find out what they wanted. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they would, you know, come up with these, you know, hey, I want this, uh, you know, I would like to see this in the game. And then when we put it out and, you know, it would, it would sell. So it was like, as long as you're paying attention to your, your clientele and to your, the people that are actually playing the game, you'll easily feel, figure out like what they want. Um, I know that on, on right, Planet Site 2, you have that some uh, Reddit communities where uh, that they infused your roadmap, not like a, as a Bible, but more of like supporting the, what you just mentioned of the things that they want to have in, in, in the game. But when it comes to new games like Predator, for example, like how would you know that they would want a pink gun, or it's your previous experience that dictates 
like what yeah. you've seen that people it's, fought in previous it's a combination it's a combination of the two it's a combination of previous experience and, and actually communicating on the you know looking at the forum reading the forums and you know finding out what people are saying uh what people like all that stuff is you know part and parcel of trying to create a product that that everybody enjoys you know so the ground level is we produce a bunch of stuff based on our experience and we put it out there knowing what we know and then we refine it based on what we receive from people that play it there should be like some sort of a community manager that goes and reads other games forums of what people liked in this game and what people didn't like in this game. Aside from you know just personal yeah, experience, mean, we we I've worked with community managers in, in the past and in, in the present, and, and you know to make sure that you know what we're doing is is the right stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know that what we make is based on you know our process and what we can and cannot do, et cetera. And, and sometimes those things have to be explained uh, in order for people to understand. Um, and I think when we did Inside the Player Studio, that was our way of explaining what could and could not be done by way of them doing the work and me critiquing them like I would critique any other artist on the team. So Inside Player Studio was inviting other people who are not you know, a part of the team and developing things for the game? Yeah, I thought you did your research on me, man. What's the deal? I didn't know that part. I, I knew you had the community, <laughs> working with communities day. and creating roadmaps. But inside Player Studio, I didn't, I didn't see yeah. that part. You can start Damn digging. It. You got to start digging. Um, <laughs> yeah, inside the Player Studio was a, um, you know, our contribution to YouTube, uh, <laughs> allowing people to make um, content for our games. And it was not just for plant sites, but, you know, plant So free labor non-taxable no because they got a cut of the profit you know they, oh, they really? made money too. that was the whole purpose of it is for them oh, to create content that they would like to see based on their experiences with the game with their experiences with uh people on the forums and we had a specific forum just for people to comment on uh content like that um you know we gave them the ground rules we you know let them we we set up a you know a way for them to submit and we would go through the content uh, and then find ways to, uh, you know, get it to the marketplace. And then when it did, they would get a cut of, of the sales. How much have you made through Player Studio? I would say right at four grand. Seven thousand eight hundred. Uh, about twelve thousand. What? <laughs> that is insane. Twelve thousand dollars. Um. So no, it's not free label at all because we had to do the work to get it from their hands to getting it into the game. So there's still work to be done. Uh, I know that Team Fortress had, had been doing it for a long time. Um, so it wasn't new when we did it, but it was, uh, it gave us a lot of content and it gave people ownership over the product. And I think that that experience itself, you know, you know, made it so that when, when you were making, when you were playing this game, you felt like a sense of ownership, you know, some sense of belonging because you were contributing to the success of this product. Can you walk me through the whole process? Uh, whenever you start a game, how many, how, how do you even budget character customization? Because in, you know, it seems to be, or customization seems to be one of the heaviest budget things in the game, right? How do you balance so there is enough of content that is kind of reusing whatever is already is in the game as a base player and also making enough changes so that it feels expensive for um, for your players. 
How do you uh, budget all of that? Um, yeah, I mean, yes, it's definitely a, a good question. It's not really a, a good solid answer for that. Like the reality of it is, is that you you just have to have enough. And who's the determinator uh, of that is, you know, it could be internal, it could be um, a publisher, it could be anybody. Um, so you, you just have to figure out like what what is enough for the product. And in, in addition to that, like when it's all said and done, like how do you continue to make that how do you continue to make that content when you go into the live um, portion of, of the game? And how do you make that in, in an economical way? Um, so you just set up systems that allow you to create content quickly. And, you know, you, you know, set up ways to like get quick wins, medium wins, and then long-term wins. You know, so like pick an object that's, that's a long-term thing. So it's like, okay. Long-term thing is is this. It requires two months worth of work. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, mid medium-term thing is something we can turn around in a month or less. And then you've got, you know, something that I can make in a couple of days. And then you just kind of mix those up. So it's like, okay, based on our timelines, we can put in, in a year, we can put in three long-term things, 15 mediums, and probably 50 small things. And then you just kind of you know divvy that up. That does that work for a release? Like, is it is it substantial enough? Is it going to get people jazzed about the stuff that you're going to uh, put out there? Um, and you just kind of balance it that way. Uh, it's really all about just making sure that uh, internally the content that you make is uh, something that you can make easily. Uh, and then there's going to be things that you just can't that that still need to be done, but you just have to budget for it. Um, and you know, you'll know that like once you get like those pipelines done. And of course, like over time, like the idea is to continue to, to evolve those pipelines so that, you know, as, as the, the years go on, you know, it costs less and less to make that, that content. Is there any tips or tricks or things that you can share um, that helped you in your career of brute forcing or, you know, saved you tons of time? Like you should, whenever you're building, you know, character customization, you should do this and this and this. Yes, it's costly, but it's really handy because otherwise you would need to do it manually or whatever. Um, like what are the things to invest? Not specifically for character customization. It's more about like uh, just art creation in itself. Like, you know, creating, creating timelines, whether it be artificial or, or actually, you know, legitimate, uh, creating timelines in which you want need something to get done you know mm -hmm. when we worked on lawbreakers one of the things that we needed to do was reduce the amount of time it took uh to make one of the levels and um what i did was come up with a scenario a written wrote down a scenario in which a map could be made in six weeks you know prior what? to that prior to that no map took us i mean every map took us at least three months i think um, so within that, that three months time frame, there was a bunch of, you know, stop gaps and a bunch of other stuff that, that were in the way in, in order to mm -hmm. do things. So I, you know, the request came like, oh, we need this map, this particular map for this, for this demo. So we haven't even started on that map. And <laughs> the demo was like seven weeks away. I was like, I don't, and we've never made a map faster than three months. I don't know why you would think. <laughs> this this map can get done in that time. You know, well, we need it done. It's like, all right, well, the only way it's going to get done is if these, this list that I came up with is is satisfied. 
So came up with a list, I made a scenario in which my team could be successful. And I was like, here you go. You know, if you can stick to all of these, these ground rules, we can get you a map in, in six weeks. And we got it in five and a half. What? So it's, it's all about, you know, setting yourself up for success. And, you know, like I said, putting those, those kind ground of rules. lines in the sand and then creating ground rules for that. Um, so like, that was the whole thing, like being able to say, all right, here we go. This is how you do it. You know, and a lot of those things was like, you know, design needs to be done at this date mm -hmm. and they cannot come back into this map. That's it. You know, once it, that day is gone, they're done. They're out of there and not giving it back. And, you know, another one of the things like, you know, based on what the map is, is like we'll take content from another map and repurpose it and, you know, do a bunch of other stuff with it um, so that we would have some stuff and then we would make a handful of things, you know, via outsource as many as we possibly could in the time frame that we had. And then we would utilize those. So it was just a bunch of, a series of rules that we put in place that made it successful. And um, that was that was it. And then we, we got it done. And <laughs> at the end of it, we didn't even do the demo. <laughs> you didn't do a demo? No, they they skipped it. It's just like, didn't even go to the conference. And I was like, all right, well, cool. Now we know that we can make a map in, in, um, in five weeks. And then we use that formula for the rest of the maps that we needed to create. And it uh, basically doubled our productivity on that front. I love it. It actually brings me to um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about today, which is, uh, um, you know, starting in the industry and growing in the industry and getting to your goals in the industry. And I know uh, that you had a dream of being an art director, not knowing what it is even to be an art director. And you had very different stories in your life of choices that were supporting your career and choices that were not supporting your career. I would love to, you know, just from, from your personal experience, what would you recommend to any starting artist? What worked for you? What are the things to consider? How to, you know, how to build your career? How to get to what you want? Um, I mean, I, first and foremost, just like I said, like I started off with just, um, I'm, I want to do this thing not knowing what that thing was and not knowing <laughs> the, the repercussions of that. I think if I would have known what I was actually asking for, I probably wouldn't have asked for it. Walking in into a, a doorway, knowing that there's five dudes on the other side waiting to beat you up <laughs> versus not knowing that. Yeah. But the reality is that you still walk through that door. Yeah. And the fact that I walked through that door and beat all five of those dudes up means that I have that experience now. Try to tell me about out. those, tell me about those five dudes that you had to beat up. Cause I know you started as a, an animator, right? In the industry. Yeah. So what yeah, are the five dudes that you had to beat up through the career? I mean, I mean you know, symbolically, obviously, obviously yeah, right? Obviously, so you know, it's a symbolism. Um, is any kind of hurdle that you would, you would in, in, encounter, you know, trying to get to where you want to get. And that's like, you know, first and foremost, learning about yourself and who you are. Like, like I said, blindly running into a room was my mode of operations without and reacting to what was in the room. And it, it got me, it got me where I needed to go. But like when I got there, I didn't know what the fuck to do. These things would be, you know, like being able to deal with a leadership role. What does that look like? You know, how do you, how do you lead people in a way 
that makes them want to do things for you as opposed to you trying to make them do things for you. Um, and I learned, I learned that the, the hard way. I learned that by making a lot of, a lot of mistakes. Um, and that would be one of those dudes in the room. Um, learning what your, your, your limitations are and what you're going to, what the sacrifices have to be in order to get where you, where you need to go. You know, when I was coming up in the industry, I was a single father, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of sacrifices needed to be had there and lost a lot of time um, within that, that whole process, you know, being a dad and being a game developer, not a you know, single person, you know, trying to raise a, a son, um, not so much the best combination of things, especially when you got some kind of a level of ambition or, or goals that you want uh, to achieve and not being, you know, mentally equipped to separate, um, you know, work from home life. You know, how could I have done this better, but it's too late. Like that's, that's all past. I probably wouldn't have did it any, any differently because I am, I am, I'm just that, that kind of person. You know, I don't, I don't allow fear to, to, to guide me in my, uh, my decision-making. Um, Again, I don't, now that I don't you think said that anybody that, should. Now that you said that, and one of the things that you, you, you said in one of your interviews is one of the companies that you worked on just uh, st started missing pay, you know, you started missing paychecks from them and eventually they stopped paying at all. Yep. And now knowing the details of you were a single father, I don't even know how you were, you know, overcoming that at that point in life and time. I've it's seen, hard. I've, yeah. I've seen, like I said, I've seen some, 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 some shit that I probably shouldn't have needed to, to go through, but those things, everything that I went through made me who I am. So like, I don't, I don't blame that. Like those are lessons that I had to learn in order to get where I needed to go. And those things like actually made me evolve as a, as a human being. Um, so like that I could sustain myself for 26 years in this industry. That's so what makes you, so what makes you a great artist or what, what are the things that in combination makes a great artist or a successful artist in this industry struggle, you know, running blindly into the, I actually agree with you. I feel like people who haven't gone through a lot of struggles is it's, you know, it's, it toughens you up. So whenever other struggles come and production is a mess, like, let's be honest, I've never seen any production in video games that is not stressful, that things don't come your way daily, like on a daily level. You're like, oh, like I experience personally anxiety when things are okay. Cause I feel like I'm missing something because it could never be good. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, so what, what makes a person a, a great artist? Like I think, um, like all of those things, just be able to be able to, you know, continue to evolve mentally is one of them and to continue to stay on top of the game. Like you got to stay on top of, you know, technology and all those things and, and tools and not get set in your ways and not get uh, kind of bogged down with, oh, this is the way I do things. Like the way that you do things changes every two years and be accepting to uh, new experiences and new ways of doing things, like being open and honest about your abilities and then practicing on those things that you're not so good at. There's been plenty of stuff that, you know, I would probably say that I've had no business doing, but I did it anyway. And I'm glad that I did them. And they were the things that, 
that kind of I learned the most from. Like, I would say probably my the, the biggest uh, the biggest so-called failure on my my resume was my biggest learning learning experience. But yeah, that that production taught me a lot and allowed me to go on to be the lead artist on on Fallout Two. Um, and because of that, even though it was it was hard, and I probably had no business doing working on it and doing the things that I was doing, I learned a lot because I had to. Um, and again, kind of running in that room without without looking first. Um, you know, that's that's what youth can do for you. You know, what I'm saying my behavior on that that project is, was it, it reeked of inexperience, basically. You know, I, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing again running into the room and, and talking too loud. Um, it reeked of inexperience and then I, I learned, I didn't learn, in the moment I didn't learn anything because I thought I was doing everything the, that I needed to do. Uh, this is all in hindsight. All of this stuff is me looking back on who I was then versus who I am now um, and recognizes how stupid I really was. Uh you know, coaching another lead that just went into a role of being lead artist like you, like what are the things that you would tell them to like, don't do that? I would say recognize that you don't know shit um, and react to the fact that you don't know shit. Um, and that'll, that'll get you through all the, the, the bullshit. That'll get you through all of the, the trials and tribulations that you, once you recognize that you don't know all that you know, that you think you know, and you embrace that. And if you're a person that wants to grow, that, ex that, that piece of knowledge will force you to make yourself better. It will force mm -hmm. you to um, learn more about your current situation. You know, so that's, that's like the first thing that I, I want people to know. It's just like, you know, if you're getting into a lead position, there's no, no rule book and nobody's gonna, you know, all right, now that you're a lead, Here's a, you know, here's the guidelines for it. Boom. And, you know, read that and get back to me next week. It doesn't work that way. It's like, okay, no? one, one at this position, have at it. And then most people either wash out or they somewhat succeed on their first time around just enough not to get fired. Um, but, you know, and most people learn by mistakes. They learn from fucking up relationships and they learn from fucking up, you know, content and all this other stuff. And they learn from trial by fire and it shouldn't be that way especially when you got an industry that's getting up there now um so i love our I, industry I like for that. not having any books or unification or yeah. Yeah. books or anything like I, that you figure it out just get yeah i like to i like to think that i try to equip all my leads with at least a little bit of knowledge of dealing with people because that's all it is is dealing with people and if you can get past that then you can always do work like you already know how to do work. That's what got you here. The thing is now you got to deal with people and people are, are fucked up. Like people are different. Like every person is different. Like if you take this, your experience with this one uh, person and you try to extrapolate that through every other person that you deal with, you, you fail. You'll fail 100% of the time because this person's experience influences how they, how they communicate with you. It influences how they do their work. It influences all these other things that you're not paying attention to because all you're concerned about is the work. You know, so I try to get people to understand it's not even about the work. It's about how you get these people to enjoy what they do and do the work for you. Like you don't, 
you don't need to be the guy that's doing all the things or, you know, trying to make somebody look bad so you can look good. Like all that stuff is worthless. If the team is successful, then you're successful. You know, I, I, I tell people, you know, approach this thing in a selfish manner. And I say selfish because it is self-serving to make yourself look good. But the, the, the way that you do that is by making everybody else successful. So you spend all of that time pumping everybody else up, making sure that they're on point, making sure that they know what they're doing, making sure that they're creating art at the highest level. And then guess what? You look good. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you don't give a fuck about people, give a fuck, give a fuck about yourself and be selfish in that manner and say, hey, I'm going to impart all of my knowledge onto all of these people and get them to where I am. And then because they are where I am, I don't really have to do all this work. That's a, that's a selfish endeavor, but the reality is that you're imparting that information to improve everybody else. And if you improve everybody else through whatever means, be it selfish or not, you've done your job. And that's the whole thing. You've been hired to do this thing. And if you succeed in that, and you can get beyond all the bull drive, then, then you'll be successful in this. Like, but I think people approach it as if, oh, now I'm in control and I'm gonna control people. Like, no, you don't have to control people. If, if people are willing to do the work for you and they respect you because you respect them, then you won already. You already won. You don't have to do too much work. You know, you just gotta understand who they are and communicate with them on their level as opposed to thinking that they're supposed to come to you. I like that one. I think this is very, I think this one is very strong. Um, how much work do you, like when you have your leads, how much actual work do you expect them to do versus lead, review, support, train? Do they still have to do some work? Like, you know, like a lead character artist, does he still do have to do some character work or he only leads? Yeah, they still have to do work, um, but it's up to them to, to balance it. You know, so I mean, we got producers that that balance out all the work. It's up to the, the leads to figure out like, what is it that they have to actually put their hand on? And that's what it ends up, it has to be that way, you know. What do I actually have to touch? You know, that, you know, if you got four people working with you and it's six people's worth of work, how do you get it done? Like that's the, the lead's job is to figure that out. Like, and my job is to, to kind of lay out all the options for them. It's like, okay, you got six people worth of work and you got five people. How much do you want to do? How much can we send out to outsourcing? Is, is there something that, um, that we're doing that we can shortcut the process? Like being able to throw out all those options um, for anything, you know, you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta put your foot down and just say, all right, well, this is how we're gonna do it. And, and people need to get, either get on board or get out of the way. Uh, I hope my team doesn't is not going to listen this part, but I do install artificial deadlines because <laughs> otherwise you can never finish stuff. There's yeah, be, oh, this little detail, you always, this little you detail. Always, you can always noodle on something for too long. But uh, yeah, yep. I appreciate you. Well, um, I know you're a busy man, so I yep. appreciate a lot your time. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom today with me. Um, thank you, and hope we can do it again too, soon. Yep. Maybe when I'm uh, super, super old and, and done with this stuff. Uh, are you writing a book? I don't know. You never know. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>